Welcome to Launch Left, an intentional space for art and activism, a podcast, a label, a launchpad for left of center artists. I'm Rain Phoenix, and today's very special guest is none other than George Clinton of P-Funk Parliament fame, a man who really revolutionized music. Talk about left of center. He stepped outside the box, he colored outside the lines, and he created really an influence that has lasted throughout the rest of music since he came on the scene. P-Funk and Parliament are probably one of the most sampled musicians in hip-hop. Bootsy Collins' bass lines, forget about it. How they like pushed and changed the molecular sounds of music and really cut new ground and pushed boundaries and were just fearless and high as funk the whole time. They would travel with these magnificent entourages of band members up to like 12 to 20 people at a time travel all over touring like that with the most amazing costuming. Uh, the mothership, which I heard is in the Smithsonian the actual mothership from their tour. Um, They always had these crazy props and just the mind of George Clinton and the fact that he never limited it, that, that there seemed to be such an intentionality to creating new perception for the audience of, of what music could be. And it was part performance art, but there was nothing short of genius in the actual musicality of it. And um, I'm just so honored to have him on the show for our 2021 first episode of Launch Left. Please don't forget, rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. Please welcome to the show, George Clinton. Welcome to the show, George Clinton. Ruth. <laughs> what an absolute pleasure to have you. You are truly a living legend, an icon who has changed music forever. Uh, since the moment you were doing doo-wop, I believe, in a barber shop to now, did you ever think this was going to be your trajectory? I had no idea it was going to be off-worldly type of thing. I had no idea it was going to go out into space and all of that. I don't think you say step and doo-wop, and, and that was like, but my dreams lie was at the Copacabana <laughs> or, or Las Vegas. That was like the height of your dream. You thought, of, you know, at that point, but by the time the 60s got here, you could tell that uh, by 68, 69, you could tell it was definitely going to leave this planet. Psychedelic and all of that. We went from doo-wop, you know, through the Motown era and then right, you know, the, out there is what they was called in back then. Out there, we was tripping out. Yeah, and one of my favorite things uh, about you, and I do have many, is just your unapologetic nature and your carving new ground. Your your fearlessness in changing perception by changing your own perception. You shared that with the world. Um, do you feel that psychedelics had a lot to do with that, or were you just always kind of a, a game changer? Oh, I, it, you know. I, it was a good excuse to put it that way. It it was everybody looked like they, the whole world changed on a dime. You know, you know, six eight sixty nine, and just knowing that was possible, I I'd always looked for that. No matter where we were at, I was looking for the next. You know, I went from you know like from rock and roll to the hula hoops. You know, to you know the twist 
to, you know, to, or what is it, uh, Davy Crockett. I saw those big, spectacular things, you know, um, and I reached for those things, those type of phenomena. So when the Beatles showed up, it was the perfect, you know, everything had to be like Disneyland. You know, had to have, had to have a franchise like the people want to go to it for a long time. I had no idea I'd be doing it at 80 years old and still looking for the next one or being able to spot them. You know, I feel, I'm really proud of the fact I can spot the new ones, even in the music. I don't have no idea what they're doing. You know, you can spot certain ones that you know is going to be not just average and whatever that is. Might not even be my thing, but I can tell you which which ones is, is going to excel in whatever it is they're doing. I've been pretty good, pretty good batting average on that. Yeah. I mean, most recently, I guess, would be Kendrick Lamar, who I think you collaborated with and you met earlier on in his career and just knew. Well, yeah, but definitely Kendrick Lamar, you know, because I was able to work with him. But I mean, when I first heard, you know, like the first early records of Cardi B, you know, you you knew it wasn't just it wasn't the novelty that it wasn't going to just be one or two records. You could tell that was more of the essence of wherever she was coming from. She was going to be like Donald Summers was to to uh, you know disco. You know, when she wasn't just just disco, she was rock and roll disco. You could tell Cardi B is not just whatever that rap is, her style is, but she's rock and roll that. She is like, they don't even have it, you know, that kind of award yet for what, you know, for Drake, you know, he did the same thing. I didn't peep him as early, but like with her, I saw her, I was raving about who was um, Rihanna, you know, SOS when her first record came out. I thought she was the reincarnation of Motown, you know, just that essence of her tone and everything but she was more than that she like, excelled I can feel those kind of people you know like when I work with the chili peppers you could you could tell this wasn't just punk rock this but this was special punk rock and which is what we always try to do when we change from Motown or doo-wop to psychedelic we went totally crazy with free your mind your ass will follow intentionally you know, we was on drugs, but that was just a good excuse. I was contemplating doing that anyway because I realized we was already late. We was getting old at 24. We was already old. You know, if you weren't 17 and 18 and, and 68, you was old. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And interesting you mentioned intentionality because, you know, that's a lot of what uh, Launch Left is about is creating an intentional space for art and activism, right? And that's what you did is you were very intentional about the music and, and the, the show and all of it. It wasn't just like, oh, whatever. You know, you set a tone and then people joined it. You know, I could, I could feel when people started imitating us before we were ever big. You know, like all our friends was like in hair, the play hair. Yeah. The very first one, we were the only ones dressing like that, you know, especially from the hood, you know, and that whole scene, you know, black folks being, you know, that type of psychedelic and hippie, funky music that 
three people, Mel- Melba Moore, two of the guys in, in the group went to school with her. Uh, the, a, a couple of other people, Bernie with the, Bernie Worrell went to school at Berkeley with them. So we had friends that was in here that was already P-Funk fans. We wouldn't call it P-Funk, we'd call it Parlor Funkadelic thing. That's what we was calling it. And they were from that era. So we knew our image worked long before we ever got big enough, to, you know, until, you know, the mothership came around. But we were doing that in 68, 69 with Maggie Brain and Free Your Mind and all that stuff. You know, but we was un- what we call underground. You was proud to be underground. That was the ultimate. Not on Top 40 Radio. Oh, yes. FM became the top 40 after a while. You know, I think there's something about growing up in the 90s when I was in my 20s, like you don't sell out to pop. We used to say, pop go the weasel. Get out of here with that shit. You know, but that was the ultimate pop. I mean, you know, you think of Jimi Hendrix had four albums. He, you didn't hear him on AM radio at all. You, you, you know, it was always underground. You had to get him late night on FM, which was you know, like the underground station then, stereo and everything. You know, they took over. But those kind of, Frank Zappa was another one. You know, they was huge, but never hit single. They didn't do it. And so we did that a lot with the Funkadelic, you know, records, 10-minute songs. You know, you know you weren't going to get on no radio with a 10-minute song, unless it was one of those underground stations that could actually cater to jazz or gospel. They did. They played those records on, you know, on, on, the, on the underground station. The jazz station did. So we was in that rock, call it rock, not even rock and roll then. It was rock. You know, and so we, you didn't want to be pop. You wanted to be that was supposed to be for bubblegum. But now it's the other way around. You got to have the TikToks. The bubblegum is the one that always fueled everything. Even though you try to outgrow it, you don't want to get too grown because you want to be young enough to get on there and do a TikTok video. So you have to real figure out how do Disney do it. And you look at that, I always say, you have to be characters. Once you're a character, you don't have to deal with the age limit. You know, you Mickey Mouse is get a new whatever area he's living in. He get a new upgrade to whatever that area is, and the subject matter become that. And so you you're able to like um, reinvent yourself, but you have to pay attention to the kids, the ones that get on your nerves, one that you you know is bubblegum, but it's always the new thing. Yeah, you have a quote, absorb youth and you will be absorbed by youth. Take on new yeah. influences wow, without that was, fear. Oh, that, was, that was bad. That was a long time ago. I love yeah. that, yeah. And it says, and you need not fear what is new. Change the people around you by changing the people around you. Yeah. Super profound. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was looking at some of your quotes last night. I, I was reading, again, I was reading, you know, during those days when you, we ain't got nothing to do but trip out and read all the hippie books and and be high as hell. <laughs> I have a question about how what it must have felt to tour with, like you had always like a band of 12. Like, how did you manage that? Were you the mastermind behind that? Or did you have like world's greatest tour manager? I mean, we had up to, to, to 30 people at one time. 
and we'd go to Europe. We'd go to Europe like that, and and I don't know how we got away with it because maybe two, two or three might be late. Most we never missed the gig. No, and and if somebody didn't make, somebody was definitely ready to play your part. So you know, and but we just I don't know that part of it. We just gelled. I mean, we had pretty good coordinated within the band we realized we learned that a long time ago how to like do tours because we had to travel around with the mothership and bootsy them and you know it was a real 75 people then so we pretty much got used to it back in the 70s how to do that and after that we could do it bootleg pretty easy I mean, to me, it just shows that you are on the path you were here to be on when 30 people can move around the world playing music without a lot of handlers, right? And without a lot of like money that just makes it glide. The universe supported you. You were on the mothership. Always on, even when we wasn't doing, you know, what people thought was doing, we were doing it within ourselves because we were living our life, a dream what we thought we was supposed to be doing. And we interpreted that we was always the shit anyway. So we didn't have to deal. And we never thought about being like on the radio for the most part, even though we knew how to use it once we got there. We made friends with all of them. They ended up being Funketeers and pretty much all the DJs was fans. So we didn't have no problem getting records on the radio once that started. Only when it started to become this digital world, I had to realize, okay, now this is a kid's world now. And I would go all the way back to my great-grandkids, like you said, and let them see what they're doing with that iPhone. And they show you the the TikToks or the you know, Instagrams. And, oh, this is the new, this is what they mean by social media. You pick them on, this is where you do your music at night, YouTubes, and that's the new reality. I picked up on that a few years ago when we did the album Shake the Gate. You know, and then that, to me, that's like another reincarnation of ourselves from, you know, four years ago to now. We're on that same mission, but with a new version of it, you know, 3GP, which is, you know, my grandkids and their friends, all the friends that age. And of course, the band is still Funkadelic in Parliament in the background, but we always get that energy to put up front to represent what's happening now. And we learn from each other. I have one, another quote that I love of yours. That's you can rebel against everything adults say. When I want to find out what the new music is, I find out what parents hate. <laughs> I could look on, look back in 1957 on that one. Rock and roll was destined to be the devil's music. And, you know, it just provoked kids. I mean, juvenile delinquent was the word that, like it was invented in, in 57. That was like the new reach for it. The kids wanted to be that juvenile delinquent and parents hated, you know, like, what the hell are you talking about? And then when I heard spitting the beat, hip hop, it was exactly 1957, how I was tempted to react, how everybody around me was reacting. And I realized, let me shut up for a minute. This must be the new shit. I'm just glad that they used us to sample to play under the bottom of it. Because it's definitely, you know, you see Run DMC and the, the Fat Boys, the Heavy, 
all of you know, you see that working, you know this is the new thing. And people was hating on it. They was hating on it. And I, I say it got to be it. And like I said, and that's what's happening right now. With, they call it mumble rap, but rap all, overall rap is like the biggest pop in the world now. Your music is famously sampled on so much of it. You know, it brings people to actually go listen to your records that would normally not, right? That's what I was hoping when it first started, I made myself a part available because I saw it happening. It was going to happen whether I got into it or not. James Brown, was, it was happening with his music and a lot of other R&B. But like I said, I made myself available. I, I did an album called Sample Summer Disc and Summer Dat. Had a disc and a dat, you know, put these samples out and, you know, to make it available already, you know, spliced. And they just now beginning to do that. You know, I mean, they've been doing it for a few years with certain artists, but now it's so commercial because the kids make their own beats now. But the iPhone, they packaging, packaging those beats, you know, and like I said, I did that in 90. You know, some artists just do the creative side, but you have this like business-minded, you know, you got the left and right brain going. Well, I try to keep it like a, that we got that good group for the band. I try to do that with the people that, you know, around me now, you know, and, and again, it's usually, it's the family. I got the kids, my wife, and and some of the guys have been with me from the 70s. And once you get that, we got messed up, you know, on the way, you know, we had certain ones that was there to, to feast off of you, you know, and so you have to go through that, especially when you was having fun being high, you know, it's called getting fucked up. And if you get fucked up, I mean, you're fucking up the business too, most likely, you know, you have to take it all in. I was able to get over that because once I cleaned up, nobody expect you to clean up. I cleaned up and I made it my mission to catch up and, re- and get everything organized, which would be another plus in the overall picture of the funk. So it gave me really energy when I started cleaning up to go out this copyright recaptures and all of the legal stuff and to get the family into it and, you know, wanting to do it. So now I got a good band with the family, good business, you know, with this, the family of the people immediately. And we can ready to make some moves on the real big business part of it. The, hit, the kind that's going to really be the movie that people don't know about. And at the same time, I'm, with this pandemic thing, I'm sequestered. So I'm in, I'm in my art room back there for the last year, painting. I got the music in the background where I'm painting the new pictures. And, and we actually made that, painting a new picture of the people. That's so exciting. And, and what better time in, in the 2020s, you know, in the roaring 20s, because we're back in the roaring 20s again, aren't Ro- we? Roaring 20s, 20, 23, 23s could do what 2020s could do. You had a quote that said, whoever controls the flow of information dictates our perceptions and perspectives. Whoever controls the news shapes our destiny. Wow. Do you, do you feel that, that's true that, still? I was, just, I was just quoting that last night. I don't know what brought, uh, uh, hey man, smell my thing. I was talking about that and some of the stuff I did with Paisley and that particular song, because it's so much, yes, ooh, do I believe it? Yes. That is, that is like, 
to be seriously considered right about now. You know, it's really weird to see, see, you know, with all of the social media, how they're trying to control them. He who chooses the news now has a real problem because you got a lot of people that do their own podcasts and everything. That is the big mess up right about now. Who's who's choosing the news and who's abiding by what choices they make. They call it fake news and everything. You know, the reason I really wanted to talk about that quote and the politics of now and your music is that like, even when you all came up, that was not popular. You made popular something that wasn't popular because of your intention and your good heart. Right. Yeah. We could still do that. Yeah, you got that. You're perfectly right. I always tell the uh, people around us, we have to put the interpretation out. Don't let. Don't wait for them to put the interpretation. What they want you to, to think of you. You have to say what you what you doing yourself. And if you're doing it intentionally, it's easy for people to grasp. I don't care what it is, if you're doing it intentionally on purpose, then even if it's crazy, you understood what you was doing. It's not as quite as crazy. It still might be crazy, but it has a little more value to it. Oh, my you know, goodness. you can repeat it and do it and know you're doing it. So we have to, you have to explain that kind of stuff. You know, I got a right to put interpretation on, especially if I'm making it up anyway. I can put my own interpretation on it and I can make it more interesting than just the way people lump it in a bag because it worked or it didn't work. You know, they ain't got nothing to do with it. It's still funk I'm after. Funk, yeah. How did music originally find you as a boy? Like, how did you go, well, music? There's this kid called Frankie Lyman in the teenagers. Go, why do fools fall in love? I heard that record myself. You know, one morning, and when I got to school, everybody was saying, did you hear that back? Did you hear that? And I couldn't have been no more than 13. That, it was like over, and he was the biggest hit. And, you know, I followed, I followed him all the way into, you know, to London Palladium, you know, his career. They were so big. They were the temptations of the 50s. Frank and I and the teenagers, you know. And that was it. Once that happened, then... Then all the doo-wop, all of the love songs and the, the ballads of Apollo Theater. I knew I was at 13. I, I had to group parliament by the time I was 14. I was hooked all right from the beginning. That's incredible. And that's the one that's like, why does the rain fall from up above? Why do why do fall you know about that? That era is my favorite music. <laughs> Oh, that was the beginning of it. Yeah, you, you hit the note right on it. <laughs> <laughs> and and what's your form of activism? Teachers. That was that was always my. I always felt that if teachers got paid for what they do, because they teach everybody to do everything, you you get better educated people. Like one of the most uh, intense UFO sightings um, I uh-huh. hadn't really witnessed till then. It was really remarkable. Um, I know that you and Bootsy Collins had an experience similarly, and it was an otherworldly experience for you all. Is that right? That- for real. I mean, for real. I mean, to, down to the point that it took 10 years before I realized that it had to be some kind of time lapse because it started, you know, like in the morning. By the time the, the experiment ended, my daughter was telling me she was going to bed as we got to the house. She said, you see, look like you've seen the ghost. And then we took us that long to realize, wait a minute, we first got there, it should have been morning because we left the studio, blah, blah, blah. And 
the beginning in daylight. Then when they hit the car, it was night. The street lights was coming on. And we didn't put that together for years till we just happened to be talking about it. Because your first impression was you first see it light, like lightning in daylight. That was weird. That was the big, but then the resolving of it was that the street lights was coming on as we was getting back to, you know, to the neighborhood. Everything was totally black. Street light was going out with it. I mean, you know, going down as we were driving. And we get to the house, my daughter said, she's going to bed. And it shouldn't have been no bed. She should have been just getting up. They've been talking about it more, uh, and the government's been releasing more about it, which I find really uh, interesting. It's like they're trying to tell us something. <laughs> I think they're afraid our president is going to snitch. <laughs> right. I know. I, I was thinking about in general, usually, right? They, they when, when a president gets sworn in, they get all kinds of top secret information. And, uh, yeah. And, and I was thinking that. I was like, it must be really difficult for some some presidents not to talk about everything oh yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm waiting on i hope he do do that <laughs> well i think you're in florida and i grew up in florida i saw you perform at janice landing in the 90s um, oh i used to love janice landing yeah it is a beautiful venue and i remember that very well it was an incredible show what you've given to the world of music is unquantifiable i appreciate so much that you shared so much of your time with me and talked to me today and without further ado, I'd love to bring on your granddaughter, Tanisha. Tanisha. All right. Welcome to the show, Tanisha Nelson. Nice. And are you, you make music? Is that right, Tanisha? Yes. Yeah, so I, I uh, sing with P-Funk. I tour with the band. And then um, my cousin and I, we have a group called Candy Apple Red. And then all the young folks, the young crew, we have a crew called 3GP. So that's third generation of P-Funk. And um, yeah, like it's all it's all in the family. That's so cool. I love that. 3GP, three generations of P-Funk. And is there going to be like an album out under that name? Yeah. Yes. So we all, we are all recording. We all have our own individual, you know, thing going on. But we're definitely going to put together an album with Granddad. And um, yeah, it's, it's cool because we're all different. Right. Everybody has their own swag. Everybody has their own sound. Um, so the album will be dope for sure. Yeah. And um, are other members of your family going to be included in 3GP, I assume? So it'll just be like a family affair and some friends, too. Is that how it works? Yep. That is how it works. It's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, that sounds familiar. Yeah, right. Exactly. I feel like most of the grandkids, all of the grandkids do music. Either we do music or they work on the business side of things. So it's like a family affair. Every we all granddad has pulled us all in. <laughs> That's so cool. Nothing like family and to surround yourself with family with what you do, especially when you're make, doing creative things. There's such a right. there's something about family that it's like there's a language that family speaks that's much quicker than other people, right? So it's a lot easier in some ways. And then there's some things that sometimes complicate it too. But you value it. It's a little different when, when the celebration comes. It's like we did it and yeah, it's all in-house. So that's that's the part that feels, you know, amazing. But of course, like, you know, it's a hierarchy in every family. So, you know, it's like the older cousins look at us like, hey, hey now, you know, you're still a baby. 
And if not, I'm going to go tell granddad. <laughs> so we, we have that. We have that. Hi, Brandy. Hi. This is awesome. So we've added another member of 3GP, Brandy Scott. So I love it. Three generations of P-Funk. I get it. A part. <laughs> there we go. Here we are. We're talking to three generations right now, right? Yes. 3GP. 3GP. I love it. Um, well, when can we expect music from you all? Uh, we should be having some new music soon. We, we're putting it together now. You know, this pandemic slowed us down a little bit, but it's given us time to organize it. So it's going to be real soon now, especially since we got a new president in here. The environment going to be real hip. <laughs> you know, get, get, got that uh, vaccine in. We're going to be ready to give them the real vaccine. Give them some P-Funk injection. We, we got a, um, a compilation. We actually did um, Medicaid Fraud Dogs, which was the last Parliament album, which 3GP was, you know, you know, on. Was, you know predominantly on that. We actually did live versions of that with that show, and we actually put it on vinyl. We're just getting ready to release the vinyl of that. So it's actually a Parliament record, but it's featuring 3GP, and it's the... It's gone over well because we, we called it the Shake the Gate medley. It's actually, but we got it on, on vinyl and really at the at the uh, Loud House in London, you know, historical place. So we releasing that with them being, you know, featured in it. That's going to be the first thing. And then soon after that, we're releasing the compilation of all of their work together. Y'all are just a pleasure to, to spend time with. Okay, baby. Take Thank care. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Mwah. Have a wonderful Thank day. You. Such a pleasure well. to meet you all. George, thank you for your service to the planet and music. You've really changed the world. Thank you. Yo, this is George Dr. Funkenstein Clinton, and I'm here with 3GP. A few cuts from our last um, Parliament album, Medicaid Fraud Dog, featuring 3GP. Pole power and the rest of that doo doo. Oh! I want everybody to put their hands together. Come on, y'all. Clap your hands. Everybody in the back. Put the hands together like this. Turn it up.
smoking low. Come on, y'all. Everybody drop it down like George, y'all. Shots, but I might get it that thing. Black and white cat, 
Feeling like 
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. 